Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Now, if it doesn't sound good to you, you might want to watch Netflix and watch some TV shows or spend some time with friends, whatever the case may be. All those things that we kind of want to do when things are cold and wet and damp is be around stories. Stories are powerful and you do many things. Now think of it this way. Many years ago, there was a movie that was released and people were afraid to go to the beach. You might know this movie. What are you hearing right now? Exactly. <laughs> That's recognizable by many people kind of across our nation. Now, People still think archaeology is done with people with fedoras and bullwhips. Spoilers, it's not. (laughs) Now, there's many websites on the internet about showing the differences between movies and reality. There was even a show that busted myths. Now, here's an example of how stories have influenced us. Take a moment and think about what pirates, how they should talk. Do they speak in a loud drawl and yell, arr, a lot? Well, pirates actually spoke Spanish, Portuguese, English, the the languages of their native country. That famous speech pattern came from the actor Robert Newman in the film Treasure Island from the 1950s. So yes, Talk Like a Pirate Day is not historically accurate. But see, stories are all around us, and Christians believe an audacious truth. At the heart of our faith is the bold claim that in a world full of stories, with a world's worth of heroes, villains, comedies, tragedies, twists of fate, and surprise endings, there is really only one story, one grand narrative that subsumes and encompasses all other comings and going of every creature, real or fictitious, on the earth. Why do we like and why do we tell stories? Because We're broken creatures hungering for redemption. And our storytelling is a twinkle of hope, a spark of eternity still simmering in our souls. Have you noticed that there's one story we love to tell and hear? A story over and over again? A story where things start good, things go bad? It climaxes and things are resolved? This is a story that stirs in our hearts about a protagonist who does all these things? Why? Because this is the story of us. It's a true story. A story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. See, we explain the world as it is. How things began, why things are bad, how things are corrected, and how things will be resolved. Last week, we started with a once upon a time, or in other words, in the beginning. Now we look at the next chapter of that story, why things are bad. See, human beings are special in two ways. One, we are beautiful. We are endowed with value, priceless above all other created things, made in the image of God. Now, this is self-evident. It's not given by recognition from other people or society or governments or abilities or anything else. Being in the image of God gives us absolute value, ultimate purpose, nobility, and profound worth. 
What's the second way we're special? We are ugly. Something is deeply wrong about us. We are cruel. This is something we cannot control, not with education or the lack thereof, or with economic status or the lack thereof. We just get smarter or richer in our cruelty. This is also very self-evident. Look at the history of the world. Now, what story do we tell that best illustrates that? Is it an action story, adventure, science fiction? No, we are in a love story. The way to love anything is to realize it might be lost. And that's where our story begins. The Grey Havens, which is a band I enjoy, wrote the song called This My Soul. And we'll be using that to illustrate this. A voice came and spoke to the silence. The words took on beauty and form. The form took its shape as a garden was born. Then man from the dust came reflecting, oh, goodness and beauty and life. But he lowered his gaze as he listened to the face of low desires. Some other stories, because we also tell the same story. This is a Celador in the Lord of the Rings, the very beginning. He wins the battle. He defeats Sauron. He's about to throw the ring into Mount Doom. And he lusts and wants the power of the ring for himself and dooms all of Middle-earth. The next one's from the TV show Fringe, where Walter Bishop wants to save his son from incurable disease. He can't, so he saves a son from a parallel universe, thus dooming both universes to destruction. Or even Back to the Future Part 2, where Marty McFly wants this almanac book. He greeds for it, thus dooms the future. All those characters were given a choice. They chose poorly. What's our story, our choice? Genesis chapter 3. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What did we do? in that choice. We were tempted and we traded perfect love for autonomy. What's this? What's autonomy? To become a law up to themselves, choosing oneself as a source for determining what is right and wrong rather than relying on God's word for direction. See, Christians, we understand when we have a choice, we choose the perceived greater rather than the perceived lesser. And in that horrible moment, This autonomy was perceived to be greater than the eternal God. See, in our fallen state, who do we love? Ourselves. This is the one thing love can never be. Selfish. It's no longer love. See, love is a binding of yourself to another, forsaking the self. What we do now is we forsake the other and bind to ourselves. You see, shalom was shattered. This rebellion does not bring freedom. Instead, it brings brokenness, disgrace, guilt, slavery, and struggle. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it all extends to you. Let the word shake down along your spine 
and ring out truth that you might find. Marcus Dodd in the Expositor's Bible writes, At one brush, sin wipes out all peace and joy and self-respect and numbers us among the transgressors, among the shame-faced and self-despising and hopeless. It leaves us possessed with unhappy thoughts which lead us away from what is bright and honorable and good. It's just one step, but it's like the step over a precipice or down the shaft of a mine. It cannot be taken back. Commits an altogether different state of things. You see, the serpent did lie. It did bring death. Sin brings death. And death is separation. See, we're all built for relationships. And now our soul, our heart, our intellect, will, and emotions are bent inward. With one act of self-will, man's world turns black. Instead of life, he finds death. His defiance severing his soul's lifeline to God. Instead of autonomous freedom, he finds slavery. This corrupted flesh now ruling from within and a new master ruling from without. The serpent who man obeyed in the garden instead of God. What is this separation? There's multiple levels of separation. Separation from self. Let's continue in Genesis. Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. The Lord God called out the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Shame. Shame is the first consequence of sin. Shamed of ourselves. See, we forgot who we were in that instant. One of my favorite authors, G.K. Testerton, wrote, We've all heard the romances, the story of the man who forgets his name. The missed man can see and appreciate everything, only he cannot remember who he is. Every man is that man in the story. We are all under the same mental calamity. We have all forgotten who we really are, who we all were made to be. All that we call common sense and rationality and practicality and positivism only means that for certain dead levels of our life, we forget that we have forgotten. All that we call spirit and art only means that for one awful moment, we remember that we forgot. Second separation is separation from others. Let's continue on in Genesis. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Blame. Second symptom of sin. This woman, made from Adam, the first love song was written about her. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. To now what? This woman you gave to me, this honeymoon period is over. (laughs) Their relationship is damaged. And not only that, with each generation, man reproduces his own kind according to design. All born of Adam bear the earthly father's image, now broken. They're all rebels, sinners, debtors, slaves. The psalmist in Psalm 53.3 writes, All have turned aside. They have altogether become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Another layer of separation is separation from God. Later in Genesis 3, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Marcus Dodds writes about this action of God. It is also to be remarked that the clothing which God provided was different from what man had thought of. Adam took leaves from an inanimate, unfeeling tree. God deprived an animal of life that the shame of his creature might be relieved. This was the last thing Adam would have thought of doing. Adam recognized death as the punishment of sin. He had to learn that sin could be covered not by a bunch of leaves snatched from a bush as he passed by that would grow again next year, but only by pain and blood. Sin cannot be atoned by any mechanical action, nor without expenditure of feeling. Suffering must ever follow wrongdoing. It was made apparent that sin was real and deep and evil, and that by was no easy or cheap process could the sinner be restored. The chief point here is that God is the one who relieves man's shame. Everything changes. See, love is directly tied to God's attributes, his goodness. This is the very goodness that we are inclined to question when bad things happen to us. Why did such and such happen to me, God? Why has such has happened to the world? Why is there war? Why is there suffering? See, it would be unloving of God not to give consequences. In Genesis, there's curses and there's hope. Childbirth is made much harder. The ground itself is stricken so that work is made difficult for the man and far less pleasant. Adam and Eve are driven out of Eden and the entrance to the garden is barred. Physical death is a blessing. To live forever in this fallen state would be literal hell. But there's a glimmer of hope given by the great romancer. God's actions are loving. He bound himself to his story. See, in the Old Testament, the removal of clothes signifies disinheritance. God provides Adam and Eve with clothing, saying that he has not given up his purpose for them. They are still to inherit the earth. And there was a promise and a curse that an offspring of Eve would crush the snake's head while it strikes his heel. The swords came and blocked the garden. None could return with their lives. A curse there was placed upon every man to face for all of time. No wisdom of man nor a billion could deliver new life out of death. But the voice with the curse spoke a promise that the word would take on flesh. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it extends all to you. Let the word shake on down along your spine and ring out truth that you might find. Things get worse. Adam and Eve experiences the bitterest punishment that any parent undergoes when they see their own children repeat the evil that they have done. It's a mirror that you never want to see. Genesis chapter 4. Now Cain says to his brother Abel, let's go out to a field. And out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God questions Cain, where is he? What have you done? And puts a curse on him. He's driven from the ground. 
Cain says, my punishment is more than I can bear. You're driving from the land. I'll be hidden from your sight. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But Lord said in chapter, verse 15, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Even in this, God's actions are loving. There's a consequence. But look, God bound Cain with his mark. Things degrade. Cain goes, starts a city. People begin to develop culture. All that really culture is is just organized activities within society. Now there's a new poem. Instead of a love song, it's a song of revenge and violence. Genesis 4 Lamech, Cain's descendant, said to his wives, Adad and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. How far has the arts gone from this woman born of man, thank you God, to now I will be avenged by God 77 times? How fast we have fallen. Things continue to degrade. Genesis chapter 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I have regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Marcus Dodds writes, to describe the demoralized condition of society before the fall, the strongest language is used. Every imagination of the thoughts of his art was only evil continually. There was no mixture of good, no relentings, no repentances, no hesitations and debatings. It was a world of men fierce, violent and lawless, in perpetual war and tumult, in which if a man sought to live a righteous life, he had to conceive it on his own mind and to follow it out unaided without the countenance of any. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it all extends to you. Let the word shake on down along your spine and ring out truth that you might find. God sends a flood. It's an act of physical salvation for Noah and creation. After that, God renews the Eden command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. With the covenant of a rainbow, this covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered, according to old Palmer Robertson. This is a personal relationship that God bound himself to permanently as the greater power. Even in these consequences, God's actions are loving. Things degrade even further. Noah's not perfect. He gets drunk. See, sin can be done in private, too. His family is broken apart due to this offense. A handful of generations later, Babel. Though God has commanded humankind to spread around the whole earth, this group in Mesopotamia has chosen rather to establish for themselves a secure center to which they can control their own environment and protect themselves. Instead of a God-given unity and identity, they seek a false autonomous collectivism and a reputation of their own devising. This is a repeating of the Eden of the Tree in the garden, but now performed on a grander scale. It's a stairway to heaven, if you will. They are scattered by God. He forces them to fulfill his command 
by confusing their languages. In this, God's actions are loving. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it extends all to you. Let the word shake on down along your spine and ring out truth that you might find. Despite all this, God never changes. See, every love story must have a rescuer, a protagonist, who, through a continually pouring out of sacrifice, points to the culmination of the story. In our story, man must pay, but he cannot pay. He must be free, but slaves cannot free themselves. He desperately needs a rescuer. He needs to be saved by someone who does not himself owe, who is not himself enslaved. God owes no man this. But to love means loving the unlovable. To forgive means pardoning the unpardonable. Faith means believing the unbelievable. Hope means hoping when everything else seems hopeless. Chesterton. Remember the promise given to Eden. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What makes our story a love story? Because as an ultimate act of love, God himself will be the rescuer. You see, in the beginning, there was void. God created light. In the beginning of our story today, through this walkthrough through Genesis, there was the darkness of sin, but there was a ray of light, a veiled promise. A promise made by God, who every step of this journey has been there writing his story, the greatest story ever written, his story of love to us. And then, the perfect son of man, he took the place the voice had planned since the garden and before. He took the swords and cursed the grave. There's nothing more to separate us from the promise. The words of a living hope. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it all extends to you. Let the words shake on down along your spine and ring out truth that you might find new life. Dear Lord, we thank you for giving us this world and giving us free will and loving us so much. Lord, we struggle with that pure love sometimes and we don't know what to do with it because we're so heir to follow our own selfish desires. But thank you, Lord, for romancing us every step of the way and in our own lives. Thank you, Lord, for your son too. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.